In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure, cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or on your treadmill. Climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist, Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash big climb. shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. This is the Can't Wait Podcast, our Jets pod here at The Athletic. I'm Tim McMaster. He's Connor Hughes. Marissa Morris here as well, our producer. Thanks for joining us on YouTube if you're tuning in live or checking us out on The Athletic or wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever it's at. Definitely subscribe and rate the show as well. And you can save 40% off a subscription to The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com slash can't wait. Connor, we have a lot to get to here. Uh, Jamal, Jamal Adams contract issues this is kind of blowing up and becoming a big deal before we thought it would Joe Flacco joins the team as a backup for Sam Darnold before we get to all that though Memorial Day weekend gave us some real sports if you're race car fans out there that was NASCAR but but for you and me I think the bigger thrill was watching quarterbacks try to play golf uh, at the match it was great Peyton Manning teaming up with Tiger Woods and uh, Tom Brady and Phil Mickelson good times in the rain yeah, it wasn't a great weekend for the DraftKings account. I don't think that one <laughs> benefited too much. I thought Brady was going to be a little bit better than that, but uh, that that wasn't ideal. Man, that was fun. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. It was like, because when you watch, because they had the tournament on with uh, like Rory and, and, um, and Fowler and Wolf and Johnson the week before, and I remember watching that one, and you kind of lose an appreciation or not lose an appreciation but you kind of just it runs raw almost how good these guys are and like you'd remember because you, you'd have like they'd hit they're all four professionals like they're all four pros and and they would hit a shot off the green by like 10 or 15 yards and you'd look at it and be like okay well they're not going to birdie this hole but they are going to par it because now who's ever up if it's Fowler or Johnson or whatever they're going to chip it within like two feet and then they're going to put it in for for a gimme like if that that's what's about to happen like okay this is the other guy doesn't have a birdie shot. They're both going to par this hole. We'll move on to the next one. When you got a chance to watch the match and you had Tiger and Phil, who are obviously two of the best to ever do it, but then you have two kind of normal people playing. The coolest thing was being like seeing a shot that was 10 yards off the green and being like, I have no idea if this is going to be a par, a bogey, a double. Like I remember I was watching with my father-in-law and I lost my mind when Brady came up for a chip. And he chunked it like five yards, like five yards in front of him. Like he came out, it's like an easy chip, like 10 yards. And you just see the ball go up and then down and a huge divot come out. And they're like, man, 
I've done that like 300 times. So it was so much more <laughs> relatable to watch these guys go out there and play golf. And for me, I thought it was so much more fun. Like, I mean, seeing a shot tracer of Tom Brady take a tee shot and have it just slice 70 yards to the right and then have uh, Woods make the comment about, oh, I think that one's on the fairway <laughs> on seven. It's like, like that's the kind of like jabbering that you have when you go out there and just play with your friends. And, and I thought it was the most relatable professional golf I've ever seen. I thought it was probably some of the most entertaining golf I've ever seen. And I would have just loved if it was a little bit better weather to see these guys like out there not having to deal with the rain, but to have like, you know, a nice sunny day on a cool course. But I would be really interested to see that like moving forward, like, like to, to keep every year this time in the off season, have Phil and Tiger who clearly are, are game to do this. I mean, this is the second time they've done it. So they're clearly all about it and they like the idea. And I'm sure. And they're tied uh, one, one, one now. So there's definitely yeah. going to be a third. Yeah. And, and they do, this one was for charity, but I think the last one, or maybe they both were for charity. I don't know, but I'm sure it's, it's good advertising money. It's good exposure if they need any more of that, but to have them, do that now with other people like i love the manning brady thing but it would have been cool i don't know if if uh lebron james golfs but to have like a jordan lebron with tiger and phil or like somebody throughout there steph curry because i know steph curry does a ton of golfing having him go up against jordan or or something else i think that's just it's so much fun and i think again like the coolest thing for me was watching them screw up and seeing them <laughs> screw up on shots that like yeah, it's not it's it's what all of us grew up on but these pros just for them it's automatic and then even to have like brady hold it out like on that crazy thing for like crazy shot for a birdie where he was like in the rough mm. punched it out just a way like basically a prayer shot that he throws in and somehow goes in the hole we've all had those too where it's like that makes no sense i'm definitely not that good but i'm gonna take it because it just made me look awesome like it was it, it was without a doubt like the coolest the the coolest golf tournament i've watched but to just have sit back have fun, throw a couple bucks on like what the results of different holes are going to be and, and just enjoy a weekend. I thought it was, I thought it was awesome. Yeah. And Brady got a uh, hundred grand uh, on that one for that shot, even though he mm -hmm. struggled throughout, it was very clear that Peyton Manning is retired from playing football and Tom Brady isn't Peyton Manning is a, is a really good golfer. That's what I took out of this. And Brady's got some work to do. Um, he's got to take out the damn driver too. Yeah. Like, he used the dri Yeah. He used the fairway wood way too much. Every time it was like, even on like what made me annoy is like the first, First hole he goes out there which by the way this also pissed me off is because i was doing the prop bets too so i had brady to hit the fairway on the first hole was one of the props i took because it was like plus 150 or something like that i was like oh you know that's a chance at least get the day started well they all walk up on the tee box phil's got driver tiger's got driver manning's got driver and brady comes out with an iron and i'm like oh Oh, this is the easiest. I didn't bet enough. I should have put, I should have like put the, like, I should have put Bree, our wedding fund on this thing. We're going to get married wherever the hell Bree wants. Like, he's got an iron on his hand on the first hole. I mean, he can chunk the thing and it'll still be on the fairway. Just get it out there 120 yards. And all of a sudden, he goes up there with his, with his iron and he slices it like crazy. Or he, I think he might have hooked it. He, he was the one I think was in the woods. And I was like, oh my God, you've got to be kidding me. It's going to be a long day. But to see him even on strokes where they were given, like holes where they were given strokes, he still got out with the fairway wood. I think he had a hybrid. Then he had the irons. I was like, man, where's the driver? And actually on the broadcast, it might have been JT or, or one of the, the guys who was just doing the play-by-play. -play. Somebody made a comment that Brady didn't even have a driver in his bag or something <laughs> like that. I was like, man, come on. Like you can't not have a driver in your bag. Everyone has to swing the driver at least once. That's the rule. You have to swing the driver at least once. And after your third time swinging the driver and it doesn't find the fairway or even like the the the, the rough or anything, like then you can put it away and start playing safe. But you've got to bring the, the big dog out at least a little bit. And to see Brady play it so safe and suck so much while playing it so safe, 
just like oh that it just it, it irked me and again it's probably because i thought they were going to win so i had a little skin in the game but that was just that oh, was brutal it went down to the 18th before Tiger uh, won. They were up three uh, through most of the day, and then Phil and Tom made a run on the back nine. One thing, else, one other thing that was cool to me, um, beyond them playing badly and, and the trash talking and just the money on the line, that was all cool. But yeah. Phil actually giving Tom kind of lessons along the way and mm-hmm. just little tips and just – the way he approaches things, things you don't hear during a regular tournament about yeah. how he's going to approach this shot. There was one hole where he was off the green um, and he explained with the way the grass was leaning on a wet day like that and yeah, the way the greens the were rolling. Yeah. He said, I'm going to I'm going to hit it to this spot. And he walked up and he pointed to the spot and he said, it's going to get a little skid on there. And it's going to stop it a little bit. So it hits the green. It'll roll to the hole. Then he backs up and he does exactly what he explained. And he puts it like six inches from the cup. I was just like, I mean, this guy's and they're all that good. Pro golfers are amazing. But just to be able to talk about it, like I would say I'm going to hit it there and I would hit it, you know, backwards, whatever. That that was that's actually a phenomenal point. Like it's one thing to see these guys like hit it far. Like you can see a guy hit it like 350 or like when uh, Matt Wolf had the won the long drive on the on the tournament last week. And he hit it something like 350, 360 yards. And you're like, man that's like a far drive. Like my best in the world go like 280. Like I can get him out there. T- if I really hit it right. And there's a nice little gust at my back, I can get out there like 280 ish. And these guys are hitting them 350. But I, again, like the, the, like you said, the most am- amazing thing, it was listening to the dialogue of the, like the tiger was a little quieter. Like you could tell tiger was like locked in. Like, I want to beat this guy's ass. But Phil was like, actually explaining, like, okay, this is what you want to do. You want to hit it here. Like with, with him reading the green and how he was reading the green, was just like I'm up there again. I was watching it with my father-in-law, and I looked at him. And I was like, "Man, this puts my putt and pray method to like sleep." <laughs> like, I mean, I like I can read. Like, I think it's gonna go left to right. He's like, "No, it's actually gonna go right here, then left, then go down, then slow down a little bit, but then pick up speed." It was amazing. Like, it's just it, it adds. If you've never watched golf before, like, or have never played golf before, like uh, Bree was was with me and she was watching it. You don't really have too much of an appreciation if you haven't played. When you've played and then you see these guys, you kind of gain even more. When you then hear these guys talk about what they're going to do and how they're approaching shots, it's just it's it's so different than what any one of us plays or even your best friends play like because it's just it's ridiculous. It was fascinating to watch too, really fascinating. Twitter became a big part of it. Um, lots of different pro athletes weighing in, and Eli Manning, I believe, joined Twitter just for this tournament. I, I yeah. can't believe it was some sort of coincidence, but he had all sorts of sponsored tweets going out. And I give him credit. I don't know who's running his Twitter account. I, I don't know. I just feel like it's not Eli because it's just too funny and too good He's that good it would actually that, be Eli. Humorous. Yeah, he is the dry humor. Um, but him playing off of things was good. And that brings us to, before we get to, to Jamal Adams, one more thing, which was Lindsey Jones and Andre Fernandez put out their list of best Twitter accounts to follow uh, on The Athletic. They actually put it out there before, I think, Eli joined, and they had to kind of yeah, add an addendum for Eli. <laughs> but Nick Mangold makes it for the Jets. Connor, do yeah. you follow Nick Mangold? I do, yeah. And it's kind of tough. Like, when, I remember when Lindsey reached out to me. She goes, who's the best Jets follow? I was like, I don't know if they really have one. Like, they don't have, like, that <laughs> crazy personality. Like, there's a couple guys right now that I actually think have the potential to do it. Like, um, uh, Makai Becton is, like, Twitter crazy. Like, that guy's, like, tweeting everyone, starting <laughs> challenges. He, like, wants George Fawn on the basketball court. He's somebody that if he actually turns out to be pretty good at football, which the Jets hope. I think he'll be, he'll be on that list in 10 years or so because he seems like he's really Twitter savvy and has a pretty good personality. 
Uh, but other than that, I, I didn't really have too many that like popped in my mind. Like some guys are active, but they're not really funny. Nick was the one that I thought was the the funniest because he's a guy that like he'll he'll crack jokes. He'll make some like uh, I mean the guys the guy made a ton of money throughout his NFL career, but he's still like pretty down to earth. Like I remember he had a tweet not long ago about actually like betting on something, and he was so happy that he won like a ten dollar prop bet that paid out like a hundred dollars. And he I was like, man, like what? Like really? I was like, he's an everyday man, and and he's like he's cool with that. I mean he's a funny guy. He was always uh, he always had a good sense of humor in the locker room as well. And now he's kind of been able to parlay that onto the uh, onto the Twitter world. So he's probably, I would think, the the must follow for for Jet fans. But um, if that if hey, any Jet fans have any other ideas for me, shoot them out. I mean, we're live streaming this one, so you can drop it in the uh, the YouTube comment section and all that, and and kind of let us know. Because I mean, that was mine that, that first came to my mind, and I, I kind of ran through and looked at some other things. That was one that stuck. Uh, but maybe there's one I'm missing, which which I would uh, certainly be interested in. Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting their goals for the day, exercise, or meditation, but not everyone has time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings. Did you know that 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated? We are suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, and poor focus. doesn't have to be this way. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets You mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com slash football. That's drinkhydrant.com slash football for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com slash football. All right, Jamal Adams, let's move on to this. And and it's such an interesting situation for me because we've kind of been through this before, Connor, and the fact that the Jets kind of have the full control here. Three more seasons they can control Adams um, with his current contract when you talk about the option and then the franchise tag. And just when you take into account also the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic, Um, it just seems like weird timing for this to get to the point where Adams is putting up a stink about this contract. Um, And it seems like it's going to go back quickly to being a big deal and being a problem for the Jets. Like here's what's, what's, so when this whole thing came out and and Gary Myers, who's, who's been an NFL, uh, he's covered the NFL forever. I mean, the guys, the guys, the guys, New York times, bestselling author, uh, wrote for the Daily News was it was a beat down in Dallas for a bit. I mean, he's been around for a while. He even did some work for us here at the Athletic for a while, and and he was a huge help to me uh, when we did work together here at the Athletic, both with putting stories together, ideas for stories. I mean, he's, the Gary knows what he's doing. Um, and so when he re- first reported that out there, that was kind of the first update since Joe Douglas said back during the NFL Combine that he wanted Jamal Adams to be a Jet for life, and what he said during the NFL Draft, which was that. His hope is that, you know, he's going to handle the draft. He handled the free agency, and then he's going to re-up and kind of start talking a little bit there with uh, with Jamal again to, to kind of reignite conversations with him about uh, about a potential contract and a new contract. So this was like the first thing we've heard from that since then. After Gary reported that, 
um, I went out and I made my calls to the people that I know within the Jets, people that I know within close to, to Jamal, people that I know around the league, just to kind of try to get a feel of what this situation is. And, and what I came away with after talking to the people that I talked to and the people that I trust a lot is that the Jets have every intention of paying Jamal Adams. They want to make Jamal Adams a quote jet for life. They want Jamal Adams to be with this team for a long, for the long term. They believe that he is this crazy difference maker on defense. They believe that he is a uh, dominant force, both on the field and off in the locker room. They love that he's a leader. And, and like uh, one of the best quotes that I think uh, Joe Douglas had on Jamal Adams. And I think he said it on ESPN radio. He didn't say it to us. He said it when he did a radio hit um, was that he said something along the lines, like, why, like he's not trying to trade away Jamal. He wants to go find more Jamal's that his goal is to fill his team with Jamal Adams. And, and again, this goes back to like the whole thing where he wasn't on the trade block last year during the deadline. People called the Jets about Jamal Adams. The Jets said, look, if you want him, you're going to have to give us a ton of stuff, which was a first and two twos, which is an absurd haul for a safety. So nothing has changed from the Jets' stance in that they want to pay Jamal Adams. Their plan is to pay Jamal Adams. The thing is they just can't pay Jamal Adams right now, and they can't pay him right now for a myriad of reasons. Again, their plan is to pay Jamal. They want to pay Jamal. They will make Jamal Adams one of the highest paid players or one of the highest paid safe, the highest paid safety in the NFL, one of the most high, one of the highest paid players in the league, probably not the highest paid player in the Jets. I don't think he's getting 17, 18 million dollars a year from the Jets, but they are their plan is to pay him. They want to pay him. But they can't really do it right now. And that's why they kind of told Jamal Adams side, look, they didn't even look, first of all, they didn't talk money. Like there has been no conversation between the Jets and Jamal Adams about a financial figure. Like this isn't Jamal wants $19 million a year. The Jets are willing to pay him $16 million a year. And there's a standoff between the two figures. This is all about when Jamal Adams wants to get paid because he wants to be paid right now before the season. The Jets have told him, look, a contract extension is probably highly unlikely. It's not coming during the off season it is probably not coming before week one. It's just not going to happen. The reason for this again is not because the Jets don't want to pay Jamal. It's that because right now there are so many holdups in the, and so much unknown about giving Jamal Adams a contract extension. What I mean by that is, is this coronavirus thing, this COVID-19 is having a legitimate impact on the financial outlook of the NFL, right? Because if games are played, I, I'm, I'm under the full impression that there will be games in some way, shape or form in uh, there, there will be games in some way, shape or form this season for for the nfl like they will find a way to play games roger goodell would bury himself alive before he did hell out a year to go by without games to be played like that is a fact like he's going to have games this season what the big question mark is and that's obviously kind of confirmed right now with with uh, we saw like literally right before we started this podcast uh, new jersey governor phil murphy said pro sports teams uh can can start uh opening up in new jersey as long as the leagues follow a particular safety protocol but he's basically allowing teams to practice old training camps, competition, things like that. So there will be games. The question is, will there be fans in the stands? And that's where it's all an opinion. In my opinion, I don't think there will be fans in the stands this year. Some people think there might be some after the first month. They might delay the season a month and, and then have fans in the stands. I mean, there's a, that's, that's a whole other obstacle to, to, to hurdle. Once you, now we got over one big one with the fact teams can now practice in the state of New Jersey. Now it's going to go on to, okay, well, are there fans in the stands? If there are not fans in the stands, you are going to have every NFL team lose roughly $100 million in revenue if there are no fans in the stands. If those teams lose $100 million in revenue, you will then have a league-wide revenue loss of $3.2 billion. 
if that were to happen, and Adam Schefter was the first one who put all these financial figures in place and kind of said, like, this is what you're looking at with, with the math. If they were to, to, to drop $3.2 billion in revenue, you're talking about a, potentially, a potential salary cap cut for next season, team salary cap cut of 70 to $80 million. Now, mind you, when we were talking about free agency and we were looking at the outlook of free agency moving forward, the new TV deals, all this stuff, the new collective bargaining agreement, the NFL was expecting the potential of a $40 million raise, $40 million up. Now, the last several years, it's kind of been like a $10 million jump, $12 million jump, 9, 10, 12, right around there. It's always been going up. They were expecting a huge hike of $40 million for a jump. A $70 million drop instead of a $40 million hike would put the Jets in a roughly $30 million hole for next year's offseason. Now, this is not a Jets problem. This would be a league-wide problem. Because of all the teams in the NFL, you would have three. I think it's the Colts, the Chargers, and the Patriots that would sit above the salary cap with a $40 million or a $70 million drop. Now, in my opinion, the NFL would not allow that to happen. They're not going to have a $70 million drop in one year. What they would probably try to do is extend that over like something like 10 years, like kind of try to lessen the drop for a 10 year. So instead of say $70 million drop one year, you would have a $7 million drop this year, then a $7 million drop next year with the hope that the new TV deal and some new revenue that would come in would kind of lessen that sum. And you could make up the 70 million and the, the big $40 million raise wouldn't come for a bit, but you would have like a drop this year to then go up maybe 5 million next year then go up 7 million, then kind of regulate it again with 10, 10, 10, something along those lines. The uncertainty of that situation, though, is what clouds this Jamal Adams situation. They cannot pay Jamal Adams right now. They cannot give Jamal Adams this massive long-term big money contract extension because they have no idea what the hell the future is going to look like thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic, which is going to play a role in the NFL's revenue, which is going to have an impact on the team's salary cap. They can't give him $70 million, which would strap them financially moving forward when they don't know what the future cap is going to look like, if it's going to drop, raise, whatever. It's, and again, this is not a Jets problem. It's a league-wide problem. It's one of the reasons why Deshaun Watson doesn't have his contract yet. Pat Mahomes doesn't have a contract yet. All of these other players that are through five years that want contract extensions or through four years and want contract extensions or like Jamal Adams are through three years and want contract extensions do not have contract extensions yet. The Jets want to pay him. They can't pay him because of this current uncertainty. And again, the second level on top of all of this is that the Jets don't have to pay him because as we've said 300 times on this podcast and written it just as much, they own the guy for two full years. They've got him under his rookie contract this year. They've got him under the fifth-year option next year. They can franchise tag him in three years, and they can franchise tag him a second year if Joe Douglas is feeling a little frisky in 2022 and keep him under contract then because safeties don't make a lot of money. Now, do I think it gets to that point? No, I think the Jets will eventually give Jamal a contract extension when they kind of have an idea of what the future is going to look like. But what Jamal needs to realize is that he does not hold any cards in this. He does not have a strong hand. The Jets have all of the cards. They control this entire situation because, again, he is not under – like the thing I compare it to is the, the situation with Yannick, the defensive end out, out there in Jacksonville, and that he's franchise tagged right now. So he is on the franchise tag. So because he's on the franchise tag, he can say, I'm not showing up unless you trade me or I get a, or whatever. I get a contract, I trade, I'm not showing up. And the Jacksonville Jaguars cannot find him or anything like that because he's not under contract. They have the franchise tag out there, meaning that's the only deal that he can potentially sign. But if he doesn't sign that, the Jaguars both cannot find him 
And then Yannick obviously would not be paid. So like, it's obviously a double-edged sword. You're not getting fined, but you're also not getting any money. Jamal Adams is under his rookie contract for this year and next year, meaning for every practice, every mandatory practice he misses, every game he misses, the Jets can find him. And those fines are going to come out to a sum that is a hell of a lot more than the $3.5 million he's supposed to make this year. So at the end of the day, Jamal can say he wants a new contract, which he does. He can say he deserves a new contract, which he probably does. But he can't really do anything other than that because if he holds out, the Jets are going to find him. And if they keep finding him, he's going to lose a ton of money. So it's really his only option is to play and his only option is to start, is to start showing up when this is mandatory. And, and again, I think what, what everyone needs to realize here, again, and it's the big thing, I've repeated it like seven times though, it's that the Jets do want to pay Jamal and their plan is to pay Jamal. They have, the exact thing was told to me is they have no intention and it has never been in the cards to trade Jamal Adams. That was the case this entire offseason. That was the case when I talked to him when this Gary Myers report originally came out. That has not changed. Their whole thing is that we just can't pay Jamal Adams right now. And once they can, they probably will. But right now, they can't. And the hope is that Jamal Adams does realize that. But even if he doesn't, Jets still hold all the cards, man. And there's nothing Jamal Adams can do. Well, the one thing that surprises me, too, about this is just the optics of it. Um, if you're Jamal Adams and you're his agent, I would just think that now's not the time, man. Like, look at Major League Baseball right now. They're going back and forth about the pay, and and they're both both sides are getting killed by the, by the fan base on Twitter, everywhere about the fact that – and these are baseball players who have already accepted a major pay cut, um, and they just don't want to accept more pay cut, and people are saying – just go out there and do it, do it for the country, do it for whatever, you know, pay, you know, you're playing baseball and, and all that sort of talk. Yeah. And I haven't seen any of that yet against Jamal Adams, but I feel like it's eventually going to come it where, you know, coming. come on, man. Like, you know, you're, yeah. you're making, you're going to make your full salary this season. We have other athletes who are taking pay cuts because of this pandemic, like shut up and play. Eventually that message is going to come. Yeah. And it's another thing too, man. It's like, I mean, the unemployment rate in this country is plummeting. Yep. Like we're, we're all very, like you, the three of us are very fortunate. Like we're, we're, we're very fortunate to still be employed, uh, you know, in un, unemployed. We're very fortunate to still be employed. Uh, financially, nothing has really changed for us. I'm, I'm super fortunate because Bree, I mean, Bree's a nurse. So she, I mean, she's still going to work every day, which is why a lot of people have asked me before, like, Oh, how's, how are things different with the with COVID-19? Nothing's really changed for me because I'm still working for the athletic. I'm still getting paid and I'm still doing my job. And my fiance is in the exact same boat. My best friend from high school is going to be my best man at my wedding got furloughed and he hasn't had a job in three months and he's been trying to find some potential other work. No one is interviewing him. Two of my other friends furloughed. My two sisters are both teachers. They have no idea what the future holds with the school. They got their salary and they got their money for this school year but they have no idea what next year is going to hold. Like they have no idea. So we're very fortunate. So many other people are not like now it's almost like kind of common sense and optics and a little self-awareness that the time to be slamming your head and saying, Hey, I want $17 million instead of $3.5 million. And basically, I mean, how much of what, what is the absurd percentage of the country? Isn't it like close to 30, 35% of the country yeah. or something mm -hmm. ridiculous like that is currently unemployed to now be asking for, for money. And I get it. He's a football player. He's entertainment. It can make the country happy and up the morale, but still, I mean, it's just, it's like, it's almost like now is not time. Like this yeah. is like, no, like you want to like say this stuff like behind closed doors, like, Hey, I really want my, but to kind of start going public and getting it out there and getting conversations going to trying to brew trade talk. I, I just don't think, I don't think uh, it's it's necessarily the right time because there's so many people right now that are in such hardships and things like that. And and the people that still have jobs, three of us, Jamal Adams, football players, uh, it's, it's, 
you're very fortunate right now. And, uh, and, and it's very easy to not get any money at all. And, uh, I just think it's probably not, not the right time. It's just not, not the, not the right time for this. Yeah. Probably best to just quiet down and go amongst, if you don't want to do the voluntary stuff, just don't do it, but don't make a big stink about it. Um, if, if trade offers come in and they're big, is there any chance Connor that he gets moved? Sure. I mean, yeah. If somebody wants to give him a one and two twos. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why not? It's a safety. Like getting the day, like Jamal Adams is a hell of a football player. And I've said this a hundred times. He is an unbelievable player. He is a, a difference maker. I mean, you turn on the game against the giants and that's the game I always go back to where the jets do not win that game. If Jamal Adams is not on the field, the guy was all over it. He is a difference maker. He's, but he's, he still doesn't have an impact on a team like an all pro left tackle would, or like an all pro corner would, or like an all pro pass rusher would. I mean, that's just, it's just a fact. I mean, it's, it's, that's, that's a fact of the matter. An all pro quarterback, that's the difference. So if the jets could potentially trade him and get a one and two twos to really expedite this rebuild, I think that they would take that deal because they would be asinine not to take that deal. That's absurd. I mean, it's, it's again, Jamal Adams has two career interceptions. That's one more than linebacker Terrell Basham. Like, I mean, like that's the difference. Like he makes a difference when he's on the field. The Jets are a better team with him than without, but the players they could potentially find with a one and two twos to really round out this rebuild, that collective unit as a team would be better than the one that they have right now with Jamal, assuming they hit on those draft picks. But again, it's, it's, I don't think, any team's going to give up a one and two twos for a safety. The the Dallas Cowboys aren't interested in trading for him right now. The Baltimore Ravens aren't interested in trading for him. No team in the NFL is going to be interested in trading for him right now because you're not just trading for Jamal Adams and then getting him on his fourth year and then his fifth year. You have to trade him and then pay him, and he wants bank. So it's not – again, it's not like you can just get – like some teams trade for players because you know you have them on their rookie deal for two years. Like, sweet, this is a good financial investment. You're not getting that with Jamal. you got to trade him and then immediately pay him. And I don't see any team willing to do that, both for the compensation the Jets want and the current situation. Again, like like I keep saying, this is not a Jets problem. This is an NFL league-wide all-32 team problem with the fact that they don't know what's going forward and they just can't afford to give out these massive contracts right now. Connor, you know what's important in life? Smelling good. You're getting married eventually, so apparently you smell good enough. I'm married, so I smell good enough. You know what? Who can help us with this? Hawthorne. Hawthorne cologne, and it's easy. You've actually taken the test on Hawthorne. Tell us about it. I did, man. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty uh, uh, elaborate for for a two minute quiz, but certainly, yeah, just go on Hawthorne.co, .co, not .com, which which don't don't make that mistake. It's just .co, and and it's cool. I mean, it gives you the option right there as soon as you log in for the test to take and then you just walk through man and, and like i said it's elaborate it was asking me questions i've never really thought about with myself before i mean it was like how often uh or what kind of hair type do you have like i was like i actually don't know is my hair wavy or is it curly i had to think back to when i was in high school for what my hair looked like when i actually grew it out and then it's it asks you how often you shower which i think if you're choosing anything other than daily this is probably you're never going to go to this website anyway but uh, you just kind of work your way through, man. And eventually at the end of this whole quiz, it gives you a personalized dynamite breakdown of all of the different sets that you need to smell gorgeous. And I know Bree's going to love me if I get this stuff because I know I've got my own personalized cologne set, uh, which is going to come out. Apparently it's going to smell a little aromic and woody, which I thought is like kind of cool. And and the other one is, is a little woody and airy, which I didn't even know you could describe colognes that way, but you can, which is kind of cool. It gives you a face wash set. Which for me, I was like, oh, I really want to exfoliate and stuff. So it gives me one um, for that. It gives me like a nice both. Pr- I didn't know. Actually, again, I'm, I'm pretty ignorant to this stuff. So I didn't know you're supposed to both uh, put lotion on your face after you cleanse it. So the, it set me up with that where I can clean my face 
then lotion it. I only did the one, so I'm going to have to change that up a little bit. And then obviously like shampoo and conditioners, which again, for someone who's always used kind of the basic ones, there's uh, some some pretty cool breakdowns here of what you can have with your specific shampoo and what you can have with your conditioner. Like my uh, shampoo is going to cool me, which is going to be cool. And then the, the conditioner is going to be a nice little moisturizer hitting that one with the, the, the one two punch. So uh, certainly the test is easy. It's fun. It kind of gets you to think. And then at the end, you get this awesome personalized set, which is directly made just for you. And Father's Day is coming up as well. So you can take the test for yourself, but you can also take it for someone else. If you know them good enough, put those uh, answers in for somebody else and get a specially designed Hawthorne set for your father, grandfather, whoever it makes sense for as well. Uh, how do you do it, Connor? What's the uh, the call to action? Yeah, so Tim, you can just check out Hawthorne at Hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. So it's Hawthorne.co and use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That is Hawthorne.co and use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co, not .com. All right, on to the backup quarterback. And this was, when you look back on this kind of hindsight, no-brainer here, Joe Flacco to the Jets. And the Jets have had a kind of a black hole at backup quarterback the last couple of years when Sam Darnold has missed time. It's just been a a worse football team than it already was. But uh, you talk about Joe Flacco coming on, a relationship obviously with Joe Douglas. Um, He's from New Jersey. And now the Jets have that backup that if Sam Darnold does miss time, this is a guy that, hey, as much as he's been dogged in his career, this guy won a Super Bowl. I mean, he's got he's yeah. he's been a starter for a long time. He's certainly capable of being an effective backup quarterback. And he's probably one of the best backup quarterbacks in the NFL yeah. right now. I mean, Joe Flacco was considered kind of an average starter last year when the Broncos had him. Well, now if he's healthy and that neck's okay, you have him as your number two behind Darnold. And and I think that the, what we, we've talked about this a ton. I mean, we went, I think I wrote about, I know I wrote about it. Pretty sure we talked about it here, you know, after the draft and before the draft. And we were saying like, oh, what, what could potentially be coming for the Jets? We said signing a veteran quarterback, like signing a guy behind him. And we specifically said Joe Flacco because of the connection to Joe Douglas. I mean, Joe was the guy that first went to the Baltimore Ravens as an area scout or as a scout and said, hey, is a kid down in Delaware. I know it sounds crazy, but he's a quarterback and we should really look into him. And he was the one who was pounding the table for the Ravens to draft Flacco. And then eventually the Ravens drafted Flacco and the rest is history. He led him to a Super Bowl. You can say what he would like you did about up and down. Still a Super Bowl MVP. Still got that team a Super Bowl. The Jets would trade. I'm sure that there are some Jet fans that would give up their firstborn for a Super Bowl right now. So, I mean, they're, they're, I mean it's like that's something you give up. Like you're fine with Joe Flacco as a quarterback because you got that Super Bowl. Um, the Jets needed that behind Darnold because more than anything else, when we first talked to Joe Douglas, I remember this vividly at his, at his introductory press conference, he stressed the importance of a backup. And I remember thinking about it. I was like, you know what? If anyone knows the importance of a backup, it's Mr. Joe Douglas because he's won three Super Bowls throughout his career. The first one with Baltimore was when Trent Delford came in. The third one with Philly was when Nick Foles came in. Those were veterans who had experience under their resume, not, you know, all pro experience, but had experience playing in the NFL as veterans who came in when the starter went down filled in, kept the ship afloat, and in their case, led the teams to – in Dilfer's case, kept the ship afloat. In Foles' case, I mean, he put the team on his back and, and dominated against the Vikings and then dominated against the Patriots. And he's the reason why the Philadelphia Eagles both went to and then won that Super Bowl. So I, I think that he knew he could not go into this coming season with David Fales and James Morgan behind them. James Morgan is the player the Jets view as the long-term developmental, going to sit behind Sam Darnold. He'll be his – 
James Morgan will be Sam Darnold's backup next year. And then maybe in three years, they can flip him for a second or a third round pick because he looks good in the preseason or in limited action for Darnold. And some team wants to trade him to believing James Morgan be a franchise quarterback. That's how they view him. David fails with someone they gave about like what a hundred thousand dollars and nine hundred thousand dollars to something like that to just come in and be like hey you know the offense so if we really don't find any quarterback at least we know we've got you there who can help kind of both James and Sam but the Jets needed someone both behind Darnold for that reason because they simply did not have any veterans behind them but also the fact there are legitimate injury concerns with Darnold right now there there are some question marks on this guy's durability um his first year Again, you can blame the protection, which is totally warranted. You can say, like, if he had better protection, didn't take so many hits, he's not getting hurt. Totally true. But that's kind of more like that's what you think. You don't know that yet. You don't know that until Darnold strung together two or three complete seasons. So year one, he deals with that leg injury, which cost him three games, I believe it was. The Jets had to go to Josh McCown, which didn't work because the team was terrible. But Josh McCown was at least an experienced veteran who, who could have kept a better team afloat if that was there. This past year, yes, Sam Darnold had the mono. That's totally flukish. That's not, that's not a sign he's, he's injury prone. That's not a sign he's questionable. That's not a sign. That's just, that's totally fluky. But when he does get back in there, he then suffers the thumb injury on his left hand. If that thumb injury was suffered on his right hand, he's missing the rest of the season. That thumb injury required offseason uh, surgery. That thumb injury was the reason Sam Darnold couldn't grip a football with his left hand to hand off. So the Jets could not hand off to the left unless Sam Darnold used both hands. If that thumb injury happened to happen to his right hand, again, the kid is out the entire season. So you now have year one as a rookie, leg injury. Year two as a second-year player, thumb injury. You're going into year three with a quarterback that has never played a complete season. Again, I'm not saying Sam Darnold is injury prone. I'm not saying this is a guy who's never going to play a complete season. I'm just saying it's something that you need to take into consideration. There's a possibility that there may be some durability concerns with Sam Darnold. And if there are, just be prepared. You hope there aren't. You think there aren't. You think these were just fluky injuries that protection will fix. But there's a chance it's not. So prepare for the worst. Hope for the best. And that's what the Jets did by getting Joe Flacco. They wanted to go out there and get Andy Dalton. They didn't have a chance to do it. He took more money from, this, from the Dallas Cowboys, right? So, okay, Andy Dalton went back home to Dallas, and, and, he, gets, and he gets more money. So you still want to go find that veteran that you believe that if Sam Darnold has turf toe and misses three weeks, if Sam Darnold strains his shoulder and misses two weeks, if Sam Darnold uh, dislocates a finger on his throwing um, and has to miss one game, do you want to have a player that you believe can you can insert as your backup quarterback and that player can keep the team afloat? Because when Sam Darnold went down last year, the Jets sunk like a lead balloon. And they do not want that to happen again. And the thought with Joe Flacco is that he's a guy who's not the super, he's not an MVP candidate anymore. He's not going to be a 16-game starter and lead you to a Super Bowl. But he is somebody that can come in, step in, keep the team afloat. And while you won't get what you do with Sam Darnold, you will still get competence under center. And you can win with competence. And you can uh, kind of gut out victories with competence. You couldn't do that when David Fales came in. You couldn't do that with Luke Falk. You couldn't really do that with Trevor Simeon either. So now you get a chance to do it with Joe Flacco. I think it was a, a very smart signing for the Jets. I think it was a brilliant signing for the Jets, and I think it was also an expected signing for the Jets. 0-6 when Darnold doesn't start for this team. And overall, an 11-game losing streak uh, back to Bryce Petty at San Francisco back in 2016. It was um, a so. hell of a game. I have a story <laughs> about that game. So, like, I, at that time I was working for the Star-Ledger. And no one ever, like, gets gets upset in the press box. That was the one time I remember watching that game. Because for a bit during that game, it looked like the Jets were going to lose to the 49ers, who I think at that point didn't have a win. I'm pretty sure that at that point in the season, the 49ers didn't have a win or they had, like, one win. And I remember watching that game 
in the press box. And it was the one time I've seen collectively every like reporter be like, God, just freaking win this game. Just find a way to win this game. And the whole reason for it was because I think we all knew that if Todd Bowles lost that game, he was going to lose his job. And the one thing that none of us wanted to do after that 2016 season, because that 2016 season as a reporter was freaking hell. That was when Gino, 2016, that's the year that Gino's saying he's antsy on the sideline. There's the drama with the Fitz holdout. There's Brandon Marshall and Sheldon Richardson wanting to kill each other. There was like just hell on hell. They're supposed The Jets are supposed to be like they're a hot pick for the playoffs and a potential like run for the Super Bowl. And now they're like two and eight at this point. Like they're just, it was just like a, the season from reporting hell of stress. So the last thing all of us wanted to do was cover a coaching search at the end of it. Cause covering a coaching search as a, as a reporter is just not fun. And so we're all sitting there in the press box, realizing that if the Jets lose this game, we're all covering a freaking coaching search. So we're like, God, please Petty do it. Please Petty do it. Please Petty do it. And I remember he made some absurd throw off like his back foot when he was scrambling around which when we talked to him about it the next day on like Wednesday he compared it like he said it's like oh it was kind of like a little like Brett Favre or so it was something absurd like that and I think he found Robbie Anderson at, at like midfield and then Bilal Powell ended up scoring I think it was to tie the game and then Bilal Powell scored a game when he touched down in overtime but man I, I remember that game very very vividly just because all of us were like god please please just win this game uh, so I, I had an incredible burrito in San Francisco <laughs> that week that was the other. That was the wow, other you buried the, the you buried scene. the lead there. Yeah, the burrito. They, we went to like the Mission District. I think uh, Daryl yep. Slater, who now he covers the NFL for the Ledger, he used to be the, their Jets beat writer. We worked together for three years. Uh, one of my one of my close friends in the field. He's like a foodie, and he's what I love about traveling on the road with him. He's a dude who always finds like the hidden places to go to, and so he uh, he found this awesome burrito place in uh, in the Mission District of San Francisco. Where it's like a hole in the wall. You walk through. It's like an assembly line. But goddamn, that that burrito was freaking incredible. Like, it's just uh, unbelievable. I'm, like, drooling now thinking of it. All right, we have some questions, so let's move on to that stuff. Marissa, a lot of them on there, but let's take, uh, I guess, the best ones, the ones that uh, pass the test here. Yeah, I can, I'll can. i rapid fire these two to try to get okay. in a few more. I'll, yes. I won't be so long-winded like I always am. <laughs> it's okay. So we talked about Governor Murphy's announcement earlier. Taylor wants to know, what do you think the Jets plan – will be for reopening the facility now that they're allowed to. How soon should we expect OTAs, minicamp, et cetera? I don't, I don't think <laughs> OTAs are not happening. I think that's that's confirmed. Minicamp might happen in some capacity. I think the big thing to focus on right now is training camp. I think that's the big thing that, that you need to focus on and when training camp is going to begin because like, it's going to stink for them not having OTAs. Minicamp is going to certainly hurt teams like the Jets that have all those new offensive linemen in place. But you just need to focus on training camp because if training camp can start on time in, in, in some capacity that is normalcy, like having all of the players there, all of the coaches and contact drills, that's when you can start thinking about the regular season actually starting on time. So I think the big thing to realize is that the Jets are going to do this like every other team. They're going to take it slow. They're going to take it a phase-by-phase -phase approach. So implement the first phase, which could be players just working out. Then the second phase, which is coaches are involved. Then all of a sudden this, and now you're getting a little bit of on-field stuff, and then you're testing this, whatever. The big thing, just ignore all that. The big thing is to focus on if they're going to start training camp, which they will do. They are going to have a training camp per this thing for Murphy. The big thing, though, is is that training camp going to start on time? Because if it does, that means the season will likely start on time. It was going to be interesting because uh, Cuomo over the weekend had said New York was open. So if New Jersey hadn't opened, it would have been interesting, interesting to see if the Giants or Jets might have moved Murphy to Long Island to for a year. Yeah. A bit. <laughs> <laughs> so, wait, we can't lose his coattails a little bit there. We, we can't exactly lose training camp. Yeah. All right, Marissa, go ahead. 
All right. Next one is from loyal listener Taslam. He said, is there any truth to the juju rumors a few weeks ago about the Steelers not resigning him? And if so, what do you think the chances are the Jets sign him considering his relationship with Sam and going along with that? Are there any veteran wide receivers you see potential training camp casualties that the Jets might be interested? That one is from. Yeah. I haven't gone into the casualties yet. I can't, I can't say anything like that. Uh, I did see like our, we actually reported that the athletic was the one who, who reported that juju the Juju Smith-Schuster and the Steelers might not want to resign him. Um, I think that, that that would surprise the hell out of me because Juju is a dominant player when he's healthy on the field. He is a great locker room guy. He's somebody that has good chemistry with Ben Roethlisberger as long as Roethlisberger's there, where it does not make any sense why you let somebody like that go. Like, like, but like that's just – like, look, teams do things that don't make sense all the time. So I do not not believe that they're not going to resign him. It's just one of those things where it's like you question why. Like, why would you not – bring this dude back like he's a dominant football player who is not a diva like he's not like it's not even like an Odell Beckham where you have like the dominance on the field but you got to deal with the circus off it when have you heard a bad headline from Juju ever like it just doesn't happen so I would be very surprised if they don't if he does hit free agency though absolutely you go get that guy because he is he doesn't have the injury or doesn't show up in big game concerns like Amari Cooper again no worries about being a diva like he's a productive guy when healthy he is somebody absolutely that if the Jets, if he's out there and, and it's the possibility the Jets can go out and sign him, I think they absolutely will go out there and try and get that guy. In the back of my head, though, it's just kind of one of the things where it's like you don't, you don't believe it. Like you don't, it's like you hear that and you're like, I just, why? Why would you let him go? Now, granted, when you hear about a team firing their general manager two weeks after the draft, after they let him pick the head coach, sign $120 million of free agency, run an entire draft, you don't believe that one either, but sometimes crazy stuff happens. All right. This is the time of the podcast where we do our Logan Ryan and Clowney update. <laughs> Go. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Jadavion Clowney, again, I've heard the same thing about Clowney as, as I keep hearing is that there's something wrong with his knee is that that's probably why he's not signed right now is that his knee is not in great shape. Teams aren't willing to give him a ton of guaranteed money when they don't know what kind of a player he's going to be. So I, I just don't think that's probably, I don't think that's totally realistic unless his price drops so much that the risk, or the reward outweighs the risk. Right now, the risk still outweighs the reward, even though it's still you know, like, like he, yeah, he dropped his price from twenty million. Dude still <laughs> wants sixteen, seventeen million. That's still way too much for somebody that you don't know, and you can't right now have your doctors look at him. That's the big thing. Your doctors need to look at him. And another big thing right here is that the Seattle Seahawks, who need help on the defensive line, have agreed to let him go. Like that's that's kind of a big red flag there. Um, second thing about Logan Ryan again it's a money thing. It's that the Jets and Joe Douglas are interested in him. They, are, they would like to have Logan Ryan on their defense. They think Logan Ryan would be a, a benefit to their defense. But as we have seen with every single contract given out by Joe Douglas right now, he has a price that he is willing to pay players. He has a price that he is not willing to pay players. And that price he's not willing to pay players is like a penny more than what he's willing to pay them. So it's like he's just, he's a stickler for it. It's why he was able to get Brian Poole back at so cheap why he was able to go Jordan Jenkins back so cheap and why the Jets contracts moving forward are not going to put them in financial turmoil like Mohamed Wilkerson, Darrell Rivas, Tremaine Johnson. So the Jets are interested in uh, Logan Ryan, but they're interested in him at their price. Their price is not $10 million per year, which is what Logan Ryan wants right now. The Jets are not willing to pay that, and it's understandable as to why. When you look at his stats from last season, you see it's like 113 tackles. I think it's four and a half sacks and five interceptions, right? You look at that, you're like, that's a freaking hell of a corner go get that guy give him 30 million dollars a year when you actually go in and look at the 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 legitimate breakdown of his stats that's the first time he's intercepted a pass in two years that's a fact 
He has he had not had an interception since 2016 before his five this year. He also gave up something like five or six touchdowns passing, according to Pro Football Focus. Quarterbacks had like a 92 quarterback rating when targeting him, and that's with those five interceptions. So I just don't – he's not a player that's worth $10 million. Is he a good locker room addition? Sure. Would he be better than what the Jets have now? Yes. And then that's why the Jets have interest in him, but they have interest in him, interest in him at their price, and they're not willing to pay more. And until that, those, those prices line up, they're not going to sign him. One more, Marissa? Yes, one more. This is a good one. This is from Andrew. If you had to pick one guy on the Jets to go on the course for a round of 18, who would it be? Oh, Jordan Jenkins. No doubt Jordan <laughs> Jenkins. Jordan Jenkins is a big golfer. And, like, he – not only is Jordan Jenkins a big golfer, if you ever seen him, his arms are, like, longer than my body. Like, the guy's got the <laughs> longest arms of anyone I've ever seen. And from what I understand, like, talking to him a little bit, I want to talk to him more about it now in the locker room. Um, he drives it, like, 400 yards. It's just, you know, I, I don't think he has too much control. But, yeah, he would be one I would like to go out there and see play – uh, and play with just for the simple fact that, that I, I want to see him drive that far. I know we were just talking about how awesome it is to read greens and all that. I still want to see somebody hit a bomb like 400. And I think Jordan can do it. I mean, that guy, that guy's pretty good. He's uh, he, he's, he's a long ball hitter, no doubt. All right. Good stuff. Is there, so he's a long ball hitter though. One more thing on that follow-up. If you want to feel good about your golf game, who's the guy <laughs> in the jets that that's really going to hack up the course that one. you'd want to play with? um someone that's ever played before <laughs> you know what i've seen some i i'll probably i might catch some heat for this one i've seen some videos on facebook and some or on videos on instagram and stuff of sam darnold playing golf i don't Ooh. think for a dude who grew up in sunny socal i thought his swing would look a little bit better his swing does not wow. look as fine-tuned as i would expect so i think sam's somebody <laughs> that uh i would like to see out there i know i saw uh, he and josh allen are really close so they've gone golfing a bunch uh josh allen is a good swing like josh allen is a good golf swing Sam was one that I watched. I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I – he looks like somebody who, who I might be able to keep keep in, in line with. So, you know, Tim, I didn't actually tell you this. So, we um, – for those of you that listen to the podcast regularly, like, I love golfing, but I also just started golfing. So, I've been do, I've been golfing for about a year. So, my scores are usually in the 90s, like mid to low, mid to low 90s. When I'm really on – if I'm off, they'll be high 90s. And if I'm really off, then they can creep into the 100. But I, I'm, I'm fine. You know, like you have a couple – one or two bad holes, it totally ruins the score. I played my local course the other day with a good friend of mine and I was as on as I've ever been. Like it was one of those where like, you're just rocking and rolling. It was like the, the front was like a 40, 44, something like that. Or like a, it was a good front. I had like three, three pars second round. Like we start at the back nine and we start going and, and all everything I'm hitting is bogey, which for me, I have never broken 90 before. So I'm like, as I'm starting to add these up in my head, I'm like, you know what? I was like, I'm kind of walking on here with like a chance to to break 90 for the first time like i could be at like an 87 88 like this is actually looking pretty good so we're going through we're going through and for whatever reason this entire round i was like scrambling better than i've ever had so like i had three pars on par threes where i didn't hit the green so i was like off but for some reason i learned how to chip i learned how to chip this round and it would go right up put it right in for like the one putt and it was good just randomly learned how to chip so like this whole thing is happening the front nine happening on the back nine so i walk on to 18 and my buddy goes, like, I had one one double. Like, I hit, like, a, a double bogey on, on one of the holes in the back nine where I just – I had to take a penalty because I shot it out of bounds. And I was like, oh, man, like, this this sucks. I was like – but my buddy, as we're walking, he goes, dude, he goes, you hit a you hit a, you hit hit a a par here, and you're going to shoot, like, an 88. He goes, you're going to, like – which is a new career best. So I'm like, oh, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm the least clutch person in the world. So as soon as there's <laughs> a little bit of pressure, I totally crumble. So I step up, and I uh, – I, my drive, I crush – like on this, and it's a long par four. It's like a 420, 430 par four. 
So I crush it with like a little bit, don't know how I did it, put a little bit of a fade on it, like goes right, like just on the cusp, but like it's off the rough, just inside, like cugs the tree line. Great. I was like, all right, we're good. Second shot hit a seven iron. Didn't hit the green, but I was like just off like enough. And in like the sitting up in like tall grass. So it's like basically on a little tee, the easiest thing in the world to chip. You just That's when you need Phil. Right you on. need a lesson from Phil uh, at that moment. Dude, I'm walking up to him like, holy cow, I'm going to have a chance. I don't know if I'm going to do it, but I've got a chance. So I'm like, all right, all I have to do is just chip it. It's going to drop up, drop there. And I can have like a one putt, a chance to one putt for, for an, a par. And if nothing else, then at least I can just hit 90 and I'll have, I won't have broken 90, but I'll have 90. We'll be good. So I, I set up to, I've been chipping better than I have all day. Like I haven't missed a freaking chip. Everything's been on the green. Take like three practice ones, dude. I hit this thing. It went two yards. It went, I chunked the <laughs> hell out of it. Went two yards. And my buddy goes, there's the Connor we know and love. I was like, you <laughs> ass man. Like, Oh, I was so close. And so, of course, like now the second chip I go, I put it way too far. Two putt, I hit a double bogey on the next. I, shot, I still shot like my best score. It's like a 91 or a 92. But I walked on to 18 with a chance at, at an 88, and I, I just imploded on a chip. Chance on a chip. Which is why when I saw Brady do that, when I saw Brady do it on the match and he chunked his chip, I was like, yeah, that's not just me. <laughs> not just me. Never felt more relatable to Brady in my life. Never. Well, we have to end on this, Connor. Comment from Andrew. Give me the 10 part documentary about Connor's golf career. <laughs> oh, you know what? Um, I, I'll, I'll give you the title of it. I'll give you the title of it. Okay. My, my father-in-law actually said it. It gave me the best quote ever. He goes, I'm not an expert, but I've got no problem talking. That's going to be the, uh, that's going to be the, the title of it. I don't know. I don't know that all 10 of them, but that's going to be the, uh, the, the title of it. That'll, I feel like no we're still on the first night episodes one and two here as you try to get your number, your score under oh, 90. But. I'm trying. This is a course, man. That's my, my core. It's I live in Princeton. So it's the Princeton country club. It's a, it's an easier course. Like it's not super, super hard. Um, but it's still like, I dude, I was so pissed. Like the whole front, like it was kind of like a weird front with a couple of doubles, but the three pars brought the score down big time. And they were, again, they were pars that were like, I was off the green, but just chipping up. And the back was just consistent bogeys, bogeys, bogeys. And to walk onto the back with like a chance to do it and to hit the, the drive is the biggest issue. Cause like, if I slice the drive, it's like, all right, now you're punching best you can do is bogey. But like to slice, like to, to hit the perfect draw, then a decent second shot and to chunk a chip, like two yards. Uh, Andy, Andy Vasquez, who covers the jets for the record. I told him about it and he goes, don't worry, Connor. I'm sure it won't take you months and months and months to have the same opportunity. So, yeah, <laughs> those are my friends. Those are my friends, the people I love the most. I have always said personally as a, as a fellow terrible golfer that 90 <laughs> is kind of the golden number just because if you figure if oh, you're yeah. playing if you're playing a par 72, that's a that's a bogey round where you're bogeying exactly, every yeah. hole. And that yep. that just feels good, like like you're respectable. It doesn't sound respectable, I think, for people that don't golf. Like 90, that's awful. But, oh, but for golf those golf. of us who are bad <laughs> golfers, yeah, yeah, to think, oh, okay, I was one over every single hole. Heck yeah. No, it's not yeah, bad. give me that. <laughs> <laughs> and you just need one par and then say you need one par in bogeys and you're at an 89 and once yep. you're then all of a, and once you get 89 by the way then you can say you golf in the 80s that's like i'm in right. the 80s yeah. when, you, when you go out and golf what are you shooting at 80s 80s that's what i'm going every once in a while yeah, yeah. all right before once once a year <laughs> on a par three before we go we want to tell you about a new podcast we have here at the athletic you're definitely going to want to check it out the comeback covid19 and the return of sports seth davis examining the latest developments of the return of professional sports during COVID-19. SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey joined the show on Monday to discuss his conference. It's opening up to campus and workouts and the major benchmarks that need to be met before sports can return to college campuses in the fall. So check out the comeback right here at The Athletic. And if you want to save 
40% off a subscription to The Athletic or theathletic.com slash the can't wait podcast for 40% off a one-year subscription. That's going to do it for us. Thanks for joining us on YouTube or wherever you are and tune in again next time.